Hey, look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Don't lie to them like you did last week. Mean it this time, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads. And what that means is every time I have the opportunity, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so if you forgot your Bible, we got you covered. You can just slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get a Bible to you. And then if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you take that, read it every single day, because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. Three of you think that? That's awesome. Uh, Every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. Hey man, that's better. Hey, turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John, John chapter number 17, and <clears throat> we are going to look at uh, the entirety of this chapter. We're going to finish up this chapter this week, so here's what I'd like you to do. I would like for you to stand as we read this passage um, Maybe you're part of a church back in the day that would say, stand for the reading of God's word. We believe that this whole thing is God's word, and we believe it's God's word about the person of Jesus. And so if you read it looking for the person of Jesus, you will read it perfectly. Amen? And, uh, and so this is the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and he says this, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh. Say all. All flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you are the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, from, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may become one even as we are one. While I was with them, I have kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves." I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask for you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that we have insight into the prayer of the Lord Jesus. I pray that you would help me as um, a flawed man, as a limited human being who only has a limited perspective. Would you help me? Would you anoint my lips and fill my heart with uh, love and encouragement for your people? That together we come in a gathering, the ecclesia, the church, the gathering of the people of God, submitted to the word of God, looking for the person of Jesus. Let us be encouraged. Let us be filled with joy and let that joy overflow so much so that what we do in this valley, what we do in this region would bring glory to you and good to everyone around us. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. How many of you remember the famous line from uh, the Jerry Maguire movie? And I'm not talking about show me the money, okay? Uh, uh, the famous line that gets uh, quoted all the time is this moment uh, where Tom Cruise and I think it's Renee Zellwinger, uh, they meet eyes and he says this, uh, this line that m many guys have tried to repeat and, uh, and have uh, not gotten a second date after that cheesy first date. And uh, he looks into her eyes and he says this line. He says, you complete me. <laughs> Aww. Right? Some of you are like, you got that from a movie? Right? Uh, and uh, how many of you remember that line? Uh, I, I, I think about that particular line and I, I think about the theology behind behind that line. I think about the ideology behind that line. I think about uh, the, uh, the idea that's propelled much of our culture today uh, that ultimately causes us to miss what will actually complete us. We have in our culture an idea when it comes to human relationships, specifically of the opposite sex, a significant other. We say that I found my other Three of you were, were there. Some of you are still looking. Uh, and if you're married, you should have joined in on that one, uh, right? I found my other half, uh, right? Uh, I, I, I found the person who would complete me. I, I found the person who would, would make me 
whole. And yet, uh, oftentimes, uh, uh, these are the very uh, deceptions of the enemy that will cause us to do things, sacrifice things, live in certain ways where we look at other human beings as being all-sufficient for our soul satisfaction. Now, if you know your spouse... You know, after a few few weeks into the gig, right? Like you were unsure there was a bait and switch thing when you were dating, right? You thought maybe if we we tie the knot, we make this thing happen, baby, you're gonna fulfill it all. My, but but let's just be honest, Amen. Glory to God. Let's help the single people in the room today not have a bait and switch. This idea uh, that uh, the spouse that is that someone else, another human being being could be all sufficient for soul satisfaction. Romans 1 says that they traded the truth of God for a lie and they would rather worship created things rather than the creator God who's worthy to be praised. See, see, sometimes we're quick to read that passage and think that's for someone else, but then live lives that are so directed towards other human beings or relationships where we fall into the cultural narrative. We're, narrative, we're persuaded that love and dating and sexuality and intimacy and another human being just like me could somehow flawed and broken and, and, and degenerate and sinful and a pastor, right? Like, I think all those are qualifications, right? And, and, and yet, all of those things, and then look at someone else, knowing of yourself, look, knowing that you do not have the ability to be all-sufficient and soul-satisfying to someone else, you know that you're not able and qualified and gifted. You know that you do not have what it takes. You know that in this regard, if you're honest with yourself, you are bankrupt in your ability to fulfill someone else's deep longings and needs. How many of you believe that you do not have the ability to meet someone else's needs at a soul-satisfying level? Someone say, oh, no. Right? Like, no, Pastor Sam, if that's what we're talking about today, I will never live up. Here's the good news. You never could, you never will, and you were never meant to. And someone say amen to that. Now, this isn't a message on marriage, but we ought to take the shots where they are available, right? And, and this isn't a message on relationships. This isn't, uh, this isn't a message on who's dating and who's hating. This isn't about uh, a Christian mingle. This is not uh, about trying to cure your singleness. But here's the good news, whether you're single, whether you're married, uh, whether you are empty nesters trying to figure out and reconnect connect with one another or, or whether or not uh, you are in a position where you feel like, man, I, I don't need anyone else. I just need my my job. I need my career. I need my money. I need my cat. And, uh, and, and you might think that that this message isn't for you, but what if I told you the good news about this is this is a, a, a 
condition of the human heart and this message and the prayer of the Lord Jesus is that you would realize that his heart for you is that you would be complete. You would be whole. You would lack nothing. You would have your soul satisfied. And the reality that we have to come to grips with is no other human being is capable of doing such things. Jesus prays this prayer, which we know now as the Lord's Prayer. If I were to say, what is the Lord's Prayer to you? You would start by saying, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's a good way to pray and a good way to think about it. But at this point, Jesus uh, allows for us, through the, the writings of John, who was a young man when he heard this. He was in a garden. Now, now that's going to be extremely important to understand all the things that Jesus is saying in this moment. Is Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is getting ready to be betrayed. We're going to move very quickly once we get out of John 17 to the, to the story, to the passion story. And, and ultimately, we're going to look. It's going to carry us through Easter, this, uh, these events surrounding the arrest, the trial, the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is all before, and this is in the last week, and now the last hours of the life of Jesus. And, and, and over the course of a meal, we've covered a few chapters, from chapter 13 to chapter 17. You can picture Jesus having a meal, the last supper, if you will. And, and it wasn't like, uh, Le I don't care what Tom Hanks says, it wasn't like Leonardo da Vinci, and, uh, and, and they weren't in a medieval setting, they were in a, a, a Middle Eastern setting setting in the Middle East. They were reclining. They were laying down on their sides as they were putting their feet away from the table. And they were reclined at a low coffee table, what we would look at. And they were lounging around. And Jesus was beginning to pontificate on all of life and reality. And John, reclining next to him, hears all of these things. And Jesus prays and says, the Holy Spirit is going to help you. And all of a sudden you realize uh, that what he's saying, John remembers and records and realizes that Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to come and help you remember all that I've said. And the Holy Spirit helps John to write these words and to remember all that Jesus said. Words that now have been viral for thousands of years. Everyone's trying to go viral. Everyone's trying to be significant. Everyone's trying to say something that matters. And, and yet the news cycle will not allow them to. If you say one thing one day, it's disappeared by a couple days. Yet the scriptures have been going viral. They have been coveted. They have been looked for. Man, the first ever printed book, the printing press was invented in order to print the Bible. All other books are secondary. That's not an idea. That's not theology. That is the reality. There has been no other printed books before the Bible in human history. Now think of all the libraries, think of all the books, and think about the first book in God's sovereignty would be the Bible that would be given to us, that we could read it and we could look for the person of Jesus. And these words have been so significant and it's so different and it's so 
potent that we would gather around it. We would set days and times in order to look into it. And then when you actually sit down and read it, and dare I say, if you were honest with yourself, the moment you sit down and read it, it feels like it's reading you more than you're reading it. Can I get an amen? That's like, how does it know me? Right? Like, how has it been there? How does it know the in, insights to my heart? How does it know that this is an issue that I struggle with? How does it know that this is my tendency and this is my desire? And they're oftentimes at odds with one another. And Jesus would, would say these words from chapter 13 on to chapter 17 in the last few hours before he is betrayed. He'll say famous words like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. He'll say things like, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser, and you are the branches. Abide in me, and me and you, and I will produce much fruit. I'll go away, and it's better that I go away. And you're like, wait a second. No, I don't think you should leave. How many of you ever wish that Jesus was right here, right in front of you, right now, so you could ask him some questions? Because you've been waiting for all those really good questions you got, and you didn't realize he already answered most of them. Anyways, uh, so this side of the room, they were with that. You guys, what do you mean he's already answered it, right? Like, uh, he's left for us a lot of answers to a lot of the questions that we have. Sometimes we're just lazy in our pursuit. Someone say amen or oh no, depending on where you're at with that one. And yet, Jesus would say it's better that I go away so that I'll send the comforter, the Holy Spirit. He'll come and be with you and he'll live in you. And he'll help you. Like Christianity is the only place and only religion where the bar gets set to a place that you could, you could never achieve. It's like, this is what you should be like. You'll never be like that. And you're like, what? What do you mean? Like, yeah, this is who you should be. You're just never going to be able to do that. Like, yeah, thanks. Right? right? You ever feel that way, right? You ever feel like, man, there's no way possible. I'm never going to be able to live to that standard. But this is the only religion that says, actually, he's going to do it in you and through you. You can't do it. And that's okay. And that's why I'm going to be with you and in you. And, I, and that's where Paul would say things like, okay, then I'll put to death my old me. I'll be crucified with Christ. So it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And through me. You ever have those moments where you were shocked that you didn't act like you? You're like, I can't believe I kept my mouth shut on that one, right? Like, you're like, what I want, and you're like, I completely acted different, right? You're like, I was patient and I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say the thing. I, how many of you have been there? Right? And as you, as you grow in Christ, you realize there are more and more of those moments. Right? See, the reality of being a Christian, this one's free, is the reality is that there are two yous that live in you. You ever met them? Some of you need to have a conversation with you, right? Like you need to have, you need to have a, a, a come to Jesus meeting. You're aware of the new you and the old you. The passage in Romans says this, that anyone being Christ, behold, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. How many of you heard that? 
before. But I, I think that's a poor rendering of that passage. Mark Thompson and I have had many debates over this over the years. Actually, a better translation uh, for that particular phrase in the Greek is the old you has been rendered powerless. Right? Because some of you, we read that and you go, the old me's passed away. You're like, I'm aware of the old me. Okay? He's still around. Right? And I, I'm thankful for the, the new me, but sometimes they get in fights. Right? And, and sometimes the old me wins. Right? And that's because you've been feeding him too much. Right? You starve the old you. Don't, don't submit to the flesh. But anyone who's in Christ, man, you're led by the Spirit of God for the things of the flesh uh, lead to death and destruction. You'll find those moments that when you live like the old you, man, your relationships, the tensions around you, the things that are, are uh, become problematic, you realize that is a result of the old you. Right? You're like, man, I wish I, shouldn't have, I wish I wouldn't have acted like that. I wish the new me would have been stronger. And so then you feed the spirit. You feed uh, your spirit man that is alive and new. And, 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 and you, you war against the flesh. And you submit to the work of the spirit. And that's the beautiful thing about what uh, Jesus is beginning to say. He's beginning to say that this whole thing is about creating a newness right in the middle of all that is already or the oldness because I don't have a better way to say that right now okay are you with me there's a newness in the middle of the oldness and and as you see you can see that very easily in your child new behaviors that they begin to display new personality traits new things that you're discovering and, and yet sometimes it's very difficult to see it in ourselves when it's right up in in, in front of us because it's just like uh, when your kids are right in front of you the physical growth that they have that's why we mark the lines in the closet because it's it, it's it's so subtle that we can't even perceive that they're growing but notice if you live away from relatives and they see your kids and they haven't seen them in a while first thing they say wow you've gotten so Man, you've grown so much. You better stop so you get taller than your dad. You know what I'm saying? Right? I don't know why that's funny. Anyways. Uh, and yet, uh, this, this growth happens. And this growth is, is moving towards a goal. And this is all of the lines. Jesus is going to take all these things as he started in John chapter 13. And he's going to conclude it in a prayer in John 17. He's going to say these things, this new life, this new way, this, this new way of the Spirit moving in you and through you, making you aware of the old, but pushing you towards the new. Where Paul had said, I cast those things off that so easily set me back, and I press on towards the mark of the high call of Christ Jesus. In other words, this high call of being formed, shaped by, and looking like the person of Jesus. How many of you know that oftentimes you don't look like Jesus? Yet the high call is that, and we cannot achieve that except by the work of the Spirit. That's why the scripture would say it's not by might, it's not by you striving. 
That's why the vineyard uh, uh, image of you are, uh, he is the vine and you are the branches. That's why it's so potent. This subtlety of growth is in the same way in a vineyard where one day you do not see it growing and then the next day you go by and there's buds and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, it's ready for harvest And and it grew right under my nose. It grew right there, right in front of me. That's how spiritual growth happens. It's not by striving. Man, how many of you ever driven by a vineyard and you saw the vine out there shaking. Have you ever driven by an orange grove, a walnut grove, and saw the trees just, just trying to get it out, you know, right? Like just trying, trying to bear fruit. You've never seen that, have you? And yet how many Christians have you seen trying their hardest, their darndest, to live right, to do right, to be right. And then even in their rightness, they find themselves often in the wrong. We try and we make lists. Remember we talked about this last week, the idea that if you read this and you read the scripture, and you go, man, I got a lot to do. How many of you just be honest, like you're a list person? Just own it for the rest of us in the room so we can avoid you at the coffee, right? <laughs> You're like getting coffee and you're like, what have you done today? It's like, I don't want to talk about it right now, right? And uh, uh, the, the list people, man, sometimes it, it, this, is, this is hard for you because it, you read this and you're like, man, you got that voice in your head that is constantly telling you you don't measure up, you don't live up, you got to get some more stuff done. Man, you didn't read your Bible today. Oh, you forgot to give in the offering. Oh, you didn't show up two weeks ago. Man, now you're, you feel shame. You feel that some, some of us don't have that. And then some of us do have that. Sometimes the enemy will use our personalities and our gifts that are good because we need people like you to keep us on track and to keep us organized and, and, and thank God for those who have that gift. But God can, let me just speak to those people for a moment, is that if you feel like when you come here, there's a list of things for you to do. Can I tell you that, that there's more and there's better, and there's more to the story than you just trying to do it on your own. Because that's what separates Christianity from a motivational talk. That's, what tr- that's what's different than just good advice. It, than me just getting up and giving you the tools, tips, and tricks to, to live a better life or your best life, because you can do all the best things, and things can still go wrong. Have you ever noticed that? So then the good news is different. That's why the Bible calls this gospel. Good news is different than good advice. Good advice presumes on your ability to create the future. Good advice presumes on your ability to follow through with said advice and create the future that you hope to achieve. If you've ever had someone uh, give you advice for a job interview and they're telling you like, listen, you know, you got to make sure that that, that you turn your weakness into strengths and you got to, you got to let them know like, Hey, what, what's kind of your weakness? And you're like, I just work too hard, you know, and uh, I give it 110% and, 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 and sometimes I'm just, you know, I'm a workaholic, you know, and, uh, and I'm I'm an overachiever and and that's bad you know <laughs> right come on Jody <laughs> right like you, you know what I mean like uh, but you, then you have to assume I have to assume if I give you that advice you're able to go in and carry that out if I go hey man you can you can do this you can you can all you have to do is 
It's like all the people are, t- I mean, like, uh, how many guys you work on your own vehicles? I mean, is that still a thing? Do guys still do that? Right? Like, I don't know. <laughs> right? But every time those guys tell me all you got to do is, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And now it's like, you just got to watch this YouTube video, right? And like, it's all there. You could build a whole car. It was like, from Legos? Like, I don't, I don't think, I don't think I could build a whole car, right? Like, even if I watched every YouTube video on the database, it would take me a million years to watch them all. And even if I did, I still could not carry out that advice. That's where we in Christianity have missed the mark. You could study the Bible for a million years. You could study and cross every T and dot every I, and there were all these religious people who had hundreds of years of experience between them, generational experience, and yet they could not keep the whole of the law. They could not carry out the advice. See, Christianity is not about advice and you trying to figure it out and by your might. Because the Bible says that it's not by might nor by power, this isn't about you, you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and going, man, I'm just going to try not to anymore. I'm just going to try to get it right. It says it's not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, says the Lord. See, the picture that he's beginning to paint is that this life that he's going to produce in you is going to move you forward and you don't even realize you're moving forward. It's this moment where actually you'll have to look back and realize. You'll have to begin to examine. You'll begin to have to test and see your location. This is why Pastor Joe did a series back in the fall in 1 John, and we called it the proof of life. In other words, the litmus test. How do you know you're in Christ? Well, you can test it. You can, you can have GPS locator for your soul. You can decide, you can find out. And he says things like this. It will be those who uh, walk in the light and not in darkness. Now, sometimes what happens in, in these particular passages is we get consumed. And if you grew up in a church that was really focused on darkness and you had pastors who got up and said, you ought not do that. I mean, you heard those, right? Right? Like, listen, you, you better not go bowling, you know, right? How many of you lived in the, were in those old school churches, right? Like, because if you go bowling, it might lead to dancing, you know? And, uh, right? Like, all these things, like, you shouldn't and don't and quit and stop and don't look at it and don't even think about it and, and, and don't even get near it. And we got so focused on the dark, that we miss the light. But what if I told you Christianity is not trying to stay out of the dark? Christianity is running towards the light. You know how you deal with the darkness problem? You turn on the light. You ever notice that? You walk in a room, you're like, it's dark in here. (laughs) Problem solved, right? And so you go, man, I I, I don't know what I got to do. Stay in the light. Pursue the light. Be in the light. Stay in the light. This is a, 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 I had a, 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 a person in the church uh, years ago and I, I can hear his voice. So he goes, listen, this is not a, uh, you are not a human doing, you're a human being. And he said, this is not a doing issue, this is a being issue. And as cheesy as that was, he's not wrong. 
This is about you being in the light. This is about you being in Christ. This is about you staying in the light. But first, John will say sometimes you'll trip and stumble and you'll find yourself in the dark, but don't pitch your tent there. Don't live there. Get out of the dark and run towards the light. And if you are in the light as he is in the light, then you have fellowship one with another. When you try to have fellowship in the dark, what will happen is you'll stumble over one another. You'll trip over things. But the light is the truth, and the truth will set us free. Or in other words, the truth will illuminate things, and we will be able to navigate things. But the problem is when we don't know the truth, and we live in the dark, and we don't have all the information, all of a sudden, fear and anxiety of the unknown of what's waiting for us in the dark that's where the enemy lives it's very real and tangible to know what it is to be afraid of the dark now think about it from a metaphorical position how many of us get afraid when we don't know what's coming when we don't know the outcome, we don't know the report, we don't know what the doctor will say, we, we don't know if our job is going to be there tomorrow, we don't know what's happening on the other side of the world, we don't know what's happening with our politicians, we do not know what's happening with our leaders. It is dark and desolate and fear is what rules and reigns. But you are not of this world. I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. All of a sudden, his prayer and all the things he's been saying begin to link up. And here is the ultimate part of his prayer. He says, my prayer is that they would, be, they would have my joy in themselves. They would have my joy because they've kept my word, they've seen the truth, they are aware. And after this, he says that they would have my joy and that they would be sanctified, which means to be set apart, that actually they would be put to the side. And this gathering, this group of people that he'll put on display that others will look at inside of the world, they're not of the world, they're here, but they're not. They seem different, they look different because there's this newness right in the middle of this oldness. And it looks different. And I didn't see it at first. But actually, I can see it better collectively than I can singling them out individually. See, I, I can actually see the whole point when they're gathered together. All of a sudden, the small lights begin to put together, and some of them are brighter than others. But when I put them together, all of a sudden, the picture begins to be put on display. Father, make them one as you and I are one, that people may look and see and know that you have sent me. See, the prayer of the Lord Jesus, when he says, I pray that they would be one. What he's saying is, is I pray that they would be complete. This is a better, uh, better way of thinking about what Jesus is saying. 
Because sometimes people can read this passage and they can start church bashing and denominationally bashing. They go, oh, there would be one. Why is there a church on every corner? Right? I can't believe, man, they go over here and these people, there should just be one church. We tried that. It did not work. Amen. Right? It it didn't work. Because unity does not mean conformity. Unity and completeness actually has room for diversity. Diversity of thought, diversity of ideas, diversity of upbringings. We look different, we act different, we speak different. We're not all of the same on the surface. But then you realize what Christ is doing. And you realize that no matter what experience these folks had over here, what experience I had here, or the upbringing I had here, it was like God was leading us in this one way. It was like God was producing this way of life. And somehow it was all of us discovering the truth of life and reality and the person of Jesus together. And all of a sudden what you thought was was difference, what you thought was diversity, what you saw was a group of people from all different backgrounds and races and faces and God bringing them together. And all of a sudden you realize that they were uniting around one thing. You know how hard it is for a group of people to pick the same restaurant for lunch after church? Then a group of people gathered together, singing about one name, lifting up one name, talking about one name, this one person, putting aside all other names, pursuing this one man because of this one event, because of this one God who set out a plan from the beginning of time to bring us and unite us and he would do it in us and through us and even though we want to go wayward like a vine he would make us lay down in green pastures by still waters leading us in the path of righteousness for whose name's sake one name sake all pushing you towards this one goal that people may see and know the person of Jesus. Because I didn't notice it before. It's been a while since I've seen you. But you look more like Jesus than the last time I saw you. Man, that used to really trigger you. Man, that used to really upset you. It seems like those things don't trip you up anymore. You kind of look a little more like Jesus than the last time I saw you. Man, something different about you. I can't put my finger on it. No, no, no. It's Jesus. Right? What you're seeing in me, that I've been hidden in Christ. This is where joy is, friend. The joy that comes with soul satisfaction. 
So you can have all the right stuff. You can have the money. You can have the job. You can have the fame. And still your soul can feel unsatisfied, incomplete. And you see it and you can gaze off in our cultures and you can see people who have everything act in a way as if they have nothing. Why do they act like that? Why do they respond like that? What are they looking for? What are they craving? What's the next thing? See, Jesus is in a garden praying this prayer. Because where the fraction began was in a garden. See, this has always been the thing. Adam and Eve were created and given Eden, which meant pleasure, fullness of joy, everything they could want. And the enemy came in and lied and said, no, 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 no. Begins to deceive with lies, pulling them into darkness. That's why we must run towards the truth. He deceives, did God really say? No, no, no. He's afraid you will be like him. Now here's the wild thing. And the thing that they believe that was twisted. See, the enemy will not just blatantly lie to you. He twists the truth in such a way that you cannot discern what is up from down. He's so subtle. He's so crafty. He's smarter than you. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I don't have to be afraid. Why? Because he lives in me and through me. And he already crushed your head, bro. Did God really say? He's afraid you will be like him. What's the lie? The opening parts of scripture already tell us this. Let us make man in our image. They already were like God. And yet somehow the enemy could trick them and cause them to pursue things that they were never meant to pursue. Long for things they were never meant to long for. Try to fill their void with things they were never meant to fill that void with and never could. So God set out a plan to redeem us, to put us back together. This is Russell Brand. And... Uh, he has nothing to do with the sermon. He's just on this magazine. See, if, uh, if something's torn apart, something's ripped, something's broken. See, here's the asinine part of, of how we think about this premise of you complete me. See, we have broken relationships from each other. But the only way to fix it is we're lost because we don't know where the other part really is. See, we're trying to fix things and we, we, we find people, we find relationships. And we got part of the picture back. But we still don't feel complete. We still feel like something shattered. We still feel like, man, there's something missing. 
Because oftentimes what we're trying to do with other human beings is we're trying to fix something that can only be fixed when you get put back to the original part that was broken. And see, until you realize that your issue is not other human beings, it's not other, uh, it, it's not that guy, it's not that gal, it's not your husband, it's not your wife, it's not your parents, it's not another human being. Your issue is that you've been separated from the God of the universe who longs to know you and to complete you and put you back together. But it never worked until you come to the realization because even if you can piece this part together, even if you can put some masking tape over the, on the relationships that you have, you'll realize that you don't have all the tools and abilities to keep things afloat. You with me? See, what will happen is we realize we try and fill it with created things. And you have to realize that from the dawn of time, you're separated from a loving God who longs for your joy and he longs for you to be complete. Father, I pray that they would be one. I want you to hear, I pray that they would be complete, lacking nothing. That they would live in the truth that they would see beyond what meets the eye. And they would see that the truth is that he is above all things and working all things. So what then shall I be afraid of? What can take my joy? If eternal life has been given to me by the authority of the one who came and lived and died for me, then what shall I be afraid of? Famine? Sword, war, pestilence. I am persuaded that there is nothing that will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Friend, you are loved. And the only person who can complete you is the one who made you. The only one who can fill that void is the one who loved you enough that he lived and died and he kept the standard and he gives you his spirit that your trajectory can be upward and that you can leave your past behind. You can tell the old you, you've been rendered powerless. I'm going with the one who made me. I'm running towards the light. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person in here today that maybe fights with, maybe it's the next position, maybe it's the next job, maybe it's the next relationship. Man, if I could just meet her, I could just meet him, I'd be happy. And yet you can look at the best couples, the best marriages, and you realize that without Christ, they're still broken and in need of being put back together. Let us stop trying to fix the puzzle piece with the wrong piece. Quit it. Don't let us continue to think that two, two halves can make a whole.
But let us be one with you, Lord Jesus, the one who fills us, the one who loves us. That our joy may be complete in you and that joy will be our strength and that this community, this gathering of the people of God, as we allow the flames of our heart to shine bright, put us collectively together, that this community, this valley, will say, those people look like Jesus. And I didn't see it at first individually, I get distracted. But when I see them all together, when I see them pursuing this one person, this one man, this one thing, I see it more clearly. Let this valley see our good works and glorify our God who is in heaven. For your glory and our good. And everyone said, amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?